14 Bannerman Road is where Sarah Jane Smith lives. And 14 Bannerman Road is the name of my podcast about it. This time, The Gift, parts one and two, both written by Rupert Late. I, I think it's Late. L-A-I-G-H-C. He's a newcomer, making this the first series finale not to be written by Phil Ford. And, of course, it is directed by Alice Troughton. Part 1 was first broadcast on the 19th of November 2009, and Part 2 was first broadcast on the 20th of November 2009. Before we start, I imagine you've heard the news that Russell T Davies is going to be coming back to Doctor Who. This isn't technically a Doctor Who podcast, it's a Sarah Jane Adventures podcast, but as he was also showrunner of the Sarah Jane Adventures, it's all related. And I do recall myself saying that I wish that we would have got to see a continuation of his version of the Hooniverse. So once again, you're welcome. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's begin as we do every episode from now on, with 13 Benham Road as well, etc, etc. And then a cold open, there's a guy, he's running with a backpack, the gang is chasing him. It's an industrial kind of area, very Doctor Who sci-fi, you know, it's, it's that kind of... We found, we found a bit of wasteland, let's film it here. Uh, we've seen that Selene-like aliens are going to be featured in this episode from the coming up next thing of, of the last episode. And the guy is on the larger side, so I have to start making assumptions I shouldn't do. And I know that the Selene improved their suits so they can be anyone now, but this show is not great at casting larger people in non-Selene roles. So especially in a Selene-focused story, it does feel like a giveaway. We've uh, covered that before. Sarah Jane says that he's nicked a matter compressor from the Farris Institute. A matter compressor, eh? Like the one that the Selene used to compress their matter to fit inside human bodies. So he's obviously a Selene. Um, it's a nice nod to the Faris Institute, obviously, I love whenever they get brought up, and it's just another weird instance of the Earth in the Sarah Jane Adventures being slightly more technically advanced than the real Earth, and that sort of vision for the Hooniverse that Russell T Davies had that I love so very much. We hear a fart from behind some boxes, so if this fella isn't a Savine, this is the best fake out that I've ever witnessed, and then a green light spills from behind the boxes, and Clyde declares that the Savine are back, and it knocks the boxes over, and we see a baby Selene. And I don't know if it's, if it's the baby Selene, but it's a baby Selene at least. And it sort of growls into the camera, and we cut to titles. It shoves its way past Luke and Clyde and runs off. The gang loses it. Clyde says that they need a bloodhound to track it down, and so Sarah Jane pulls out a dog whistle and summons K9 from the car. And he mentions activating hover mode to exit the car, but just like last time he activated hover mode, we don't see it. So it's kind of becoming a bit of a running joke that I quite enjoy. Uh, the Selene meets up with another guy, and the, the guy is just a guy, but he's, he's a Selene in a human suit. And the guy asks why he ditched his disguise, and the Selene says that running in human skin is too difficult because it's too tight, which is a nice combination of quite funny and quite horrific. The guy who is in human form is farting enough to let us know that he's a Selene too, it is kind of a shame. I wish that we did have the fixed suits that can make them blend in with everyone and be genuinely sinister rather than playing them for laughs, but we'll see how we go. The baby Selene hands over the matter compressor to the guy and mentions that he had to ditch Sarah Jane and the gang. The guy adds the matter compressor to this really cheap-looking array of just wires and lights and gauges that are all cobbled together and crazy-looking which is an aesthetic for sci-fi that I love very much. I like cheap sci-fi, and that's that's just exactly that. And there's there's some comedy of them sort of initialising whatever it is and hitting the wrong buttons, etc., while K9 tracks them down by detecting their pheromones. 
K9 actually loses the trail, but worry not, their position is pretty obvious from all the massive streaks of energy that are shooting up into the sky from one point. And the guy's explaining that once the countdown is up, then the Earth will be compressed right down, but their base will be safe because of a shield that the baby Selene forgot to set till he was reminded just now. And somehow that's going to make them really rich. And then in comes the gang to muck that plan up. This feels almost like a parody of Sarah Jane Adventures. The, the way that we appear to have joined into this particular adventure as it comes to a close. So it's not really the main crux of the episode, so they can just sort of over-exaggerate and go, Oh no, the world's going to be shrunk down. Oh, Sarah Jane is coming in. Heroic, save the day. It's as if it's like, well done, you've broken Sarah Jane down to its bare essentials. And it's just really heightened. And I think Doctor Who's done that before. Um... I can't remember his exact episode, but it's just sort of when you start off in the middle of something, the, the something that they're in the middle of is often a bit exaggerated. So Sarah Jane very confidently zaps the machine with her sonic lipstick, only for it to have no effect. I mean, there, there is an effect, there's a visible effect, there's some sparks, but there's no practical effect. And Baby Celine reveals that it's sonic wave resistant, and so K9 pops out and shoots it with a laser, but that's not enough to destroy it. And the Baby Celine grabs Rani and says that if K9 shoots it again, then she's going to get it. Which, from the way that he's holding Rani with his claws over her neck, I assume means he's going to rip her throat out. So that's fun. Um, and we get the explanation that because the Earth contains a whole lot of carbon, if they compress it all down, it'll become a massive diamond. And so that's why that'll make them rich. Though diamonds, really, when you think about it, are only uh, expensive because of their scarcity. And it's sort of a artificial scarcity a lot of the time. So I'm not sure if the, is there a practical use for diamonds that the Savine can use? Is it just their hardness? Is that... I didn't really think... I didn't make a note on this. This is just me going off... Just thinking about it again and thinking, hmm, why do they want a diamond? What is it that makes a diamond so sought after and so expensive? And so as the countdown nears the end, there's nothing much anyone can do when in teleport... The Slovene but orange! Uh, and that's why that guy wasn't in the Slovene suit. It's because they've only got two. They've got, well, they've got two adults and they've got a child. So we see the child one, but then the adults have already been painted orange to act as these. We don't know their names yet, but we'll get to that. And so one of these Slovene but orange zaps the compressor with a wrist mounted thing that either teleports it away or destroys it, it's unclear. And they say that the baby Selene and the guy are suspected of crimes that are punishable by death. And then the other Selene but orange teleports them back to their ship with another wrist-mounted thing and says that they're going to be taken to stand trial on their planet. And the Selene but orange introduce themselves as not Selene but orange, but Blatherine. Because of course, Selene and Blatherine and Hazratine or whatever, just all, all saw them, they're just family names. Uh, and the actual species is Raxacorgophalopatorian. As far as I'm aware, the Blatherine was first mentioned in a book, so it's nice to see them graduate to the screen, just to really confuse the canon a bit more. <laughs> the entire gang are really quite suspicious of the Blatherine, but they admit that they owe them their lives, and then when Clyde says, yeah, okay, but how do we know that you can be trusted? The answer to that is, is obviously, they just saved your life. <laughs> um... And they also offer up the explanation that they don't hollow them out humans to hide in, which is fair. Um, and Sarah Jane says, well, you know, we're, we're quite good at handling Selene ourselves, actually. 
which is a lie, because you were about two seconds from the entire world being compressed into a diamond. So you needed the Blathering to go in and save the day. But the, the Blathering say that they're actually, Sarah Jane and, and everyone are actually held in quite high regard back home. And so we, we understand, you know, we've sort of intruded and saved the day here, but we know how capable you are. And they say that the Selene are criminals, sure. But the other families, back on Rexacorico Pelopatorius, are just normal folk. They respect the law. And then the Blathereen have taken it upon themselves to act as bounty hunters and keep the Selene in check. Not for profit, but for duty. They say, you know, there's success to other aliens as well. Some are nice, some are curious, some seek asylum. This is a message that the show has made before. I, you know, I, I support that message. Um, and they say that it's customary to show thanks for sort of what Sarah Jane and, and, and the gang have, have done um, by joining them for dinner. And Sarah Jane says, I, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather I didn't bring them to my house because there's a lot of alien tech in my house, you know, just in case. But Rani says, well, I've got a free house because my parents are at a teacher conference. So Sarah Jane says, well, sure, I, I, I guess why not? Why don't you come and join us for dinner then at Rodney's house? The female Blatherine introduces herself as Leaf Apple Lynn. So we're not quite at Blonfell Fotch Passamere Day levels, but still quite close. And also, I seem to remember there was a year in, in the Ninth Doctor's run. He, he went to somewhere and there was a year, and the year was described with a mixture of numbers and letters, uh, or numbers and words even, and I swear one of the words was Apple. And I wonder how translation works in the show, because there's no TARDIS to translate for them. I think I've mentioned that before. So, hmm. Anyway, the, the fella, the, the guy, uh, Blatherine, is her husband, and he, his name is Tree Lawnacre. So we see the gang preparing the food. Well, Clyde is mostly the one who's preparing the food. We get a little bit of info that his mum taught him how to make shepherd's pie. Sarah Jane, Luke, and Clyde are all still really wary, to the point that it, it's... it's kind of bordering on racism, right? Like, oh, we had bad experiences with the Savine. Therefore, even though these Blatherine have just come in and saved our life and have acted very, very nice to us and have told us how capable we are and how much they admire us back home and have given no hint whatsoever that they are remotely bad, they're Rexacorico-Felipatorian, therefore they are bad. Which is kind of a ridiculous sentence for me to say, I know. But it just feels really off. It feels like that's not how Sarah Jane and Luke and Clyde should act. And this is we've got a brand new scriptwriter, we've got we've got Rupert, and it feels like Rupert maybe doesn't quite know what these characters are generally about and what generally the message of the show is about. And it's even especially weird when you've got Clyde saying this. You know, as 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 a black guy, it's it's just a bit. It's a bit like Captain Jack's bizarre out of the blue transphobia in Torchwood. It's like you can have a transphobic character if you're making a point about it, and I bloody well hope that the point that you're making is that transphobia is abhorrent. But Captain Jack of all people, like it's just so casually. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It just feels weird. But I'm I'm digressing. To Rani's credit, she is the only one who's sticking up for the Batherine, so. In this episode, she's first become my favourite. I also enjoy that the way that the Blatherines say thanks to you is by eating your meal. They're the ones saying thanks, but you still have to put in all the effort to cook it. I just enjoy that because it's completely the reverse of what I'm used to, and I just like that because it, it kind of makes sense. They're like, oh, it's an honour that we consider your meal 
good enough for us to eat, I guess. And you can think of out on there on an alien planet, that, that makes perfect sense. But it's just, they bring it to Earth and it seems really weird, and I, I like that. So for a starter, the Blathering get tomato soup, which they adore. They say that they should bring some back for the Rakatine. That's uh, another Raxacorico Felipatorian family. Any mention of more families just expands the world, so I love that a lot. And the image that we get of them all sitting down to dinner together is brilliant. And so the Blathering mentioned that Raxacorico Felipatorius was once the most admired planet in the Braxis Alliance. And the Braxis Alliance has four planets. Praxacorico Felipatorius, Clom, which you've heard of before, we'll get to, Clix, and Praxacorico Valenpatorius. Love the shout out to Clom, because uh, that was just basically a joke in Love and Monsters, because it contrasted with Praxacorico Felipatorius so well. It's just, where are you from, Praxacorico Felipatorius? Where are you from? Just Clom. It's even a stretch, because I personally don't think that the Absorboloff really looks like a Savine all that much, but it's, it's sort of now progressed on to Clum being a genuine thing and it's got a sister planet called Clicks and it's part of this Rexus Alliance and I love it and I understand that that was basically just me saying a load of crazy nonsense words but I adore them I'm in my element here so they say that they always be well respected till the Selene bribed their way into power and they ruined the good name of their planet and then when the economy crashed everyone else rose up against the Selene and now the Blatherine are out trying to hunt them down the, the ones who escaped and it's a brief explanation, but it's possibly the most in-depth info that we've ever got about a home planet in the show. So I like to see that as well. And they say that to apologise for the havoc that the Savina brought, they've brought a gift. And Sarah Jane readies her sonic lipstick, which is fair enough actually, because they haven't even said what it is, and they're already opening the box. Very fancy box, by the way. And of course they put some dry ice in it to make it all smoky and everything. And inside the box is a plant. And they say that it's called Rackweed. It's abundant back home because it's very hardy. Also delicious in their opinion. And edible. Uh, nutritious. And they say that the earth, we know that it suffers from famines. So we want to help out. We want to offer up the Rackweed as a means of helping out. But we understand that, especially given the history with the Savine and Earth, that people would be quite wary. So, Sarah Jane, if you wouldn't mind, could you essentially act as an ambassador to us? and vouch for us and introduce the Rackweed to humanity through you on our behalf. Now, when you think about it, this obviously has to go wrong, because if it went right, it would have major, major implications for humanity in the Hooniverse. And as far as I'm aware, famines were not wiped out after 2009 in Doctor Who. So when you think about it, it's, it's got to go wrong. But for a kid's show, for a kid's show, I still dig it. I'm in. This is cool. Sarah Jane consults with Rani, whether she's being a bit too paranoid about this, and maybe this is actually a good thing, and I should go along with it. And Rani says, yeah, I, I mean, I think you should. And Mr. Smith is going to be able to scan the plant to see if it's all good. Um, and so then that's the starter over. We move on to the main course, which is the shepherd's pie. There's a bit of comedy confusion about whether shepherds are an earth delicacy. And I think about how earth has so many different delicacies and so many different cultures. Whenever you get an alien from an alien planet, they always seem to be quite homogenous. And so either their entire sort of a lot of alien cultures are very homogenous and they all sort of share one delicacy. Or 
their planets are a lot smaller and they have very tiny populations and so there's only really one delicacy among them because there's not so many people so let's think about that it's just this is an interesting thing to think about and we, we might come back to it later leaf enjoys the uh shepherd's pie just by smashing her face into it because we've got to sort of keep up this touch of slapstick and everything i partly wish that they drop it i partly wish that you know it just gets it, all the farting and the and the thing it it's not for my benefit it is obviously this is a kid show it and it can deal with some really really deep topics it can deal with death a lot and that's why i like it and that's why i come back and i think it's worthy of making a podcast about but in moments like these you go ah it is a kid's show they're not doing this for me and so you'd have to ask a kid if they enjoyed it because i'm not a kid and sarah jane says okay well i i accept your gift in theory um but i'm gonna have to get this analyzed and the mothering say yes of course do that straight away so they shake hands slash claws and the mothering teleport off home and it's all very friendly and Sarah Jane scans with her watch, and then she she doesn't say anything. So presumably she's just checking that they have really gone to their ship or whatever, and they're not just waiting outside the door for whatever reason. But yes, they've 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 gone back to their ship. We get a Mr. Smith. I need you. I've I've missed this because there wasn't any at all in the haunted house one, and uh, there wasn't any in the Mona Lisa one. There was a bit in Mr. Smith, but he wasn't. I need you. He was already up and running. He gets to scanning the plant, and there's there's a bit more... I don't know what else to call it besides racism. It's kind of xenophobia, because there are different species rather than a different race, but even it's kind of like this weird discrimination uh, from Clyde, and Rani reiterates that you can't condemn the whole population based on the actions of some. See Earth, for example, which has a variety of good and bad people. And I feel like, ah, okay... Maybe that's the lesson that they're going to push through to us at the end. Maybe this is a more moral episode, and that's why everyone else is acting a bit out of character, so that we can hammer the message of acceptance and tolerance home. And it's a good message, so really, I'm okay with it. Sarah Jane considers the implications of revealing the Rackery to the world, and how it would sort of blow her cover, and she'd be front-page news and probably have to end up explaining that the plant is alien in nature and that would really change the whole dynamic they've got going on and it would it would it would change everything so while she's thinking about that mr smith says that rackweed is a lot more complex than earth flora but as far as he can see after scanning this there's no threat and then sarah jane says okay well that's it's been a bit of a weird day but that's that's how it is sometimes kids you should go home if your home isn't here, if your home is here, you should go to bed. And because uh, you, you've, you've got a test tomorrow at school, as far as I'm aware. And then Clyde says, I, I don't even understand the word test. And then K9 gives him a definition. And then Ronnie says well, he understands the word test, but he doesn't understand how to pass one. And there's a sort of back and forth between them. And it's cute. And they're going to date at some point, aren't they? And Clyde acts a little bit suspicious. But he says, oh, Sarah Jane, I just need to borrow a book just for some last minute revision. And Sarah Jane says, oh, sort of, knows he's a bit suspicious, but goes, well, okay. And that's him. However, once everybody's left the room, Clyde actually wants to ask K9 if he can come to school with him to help with the test. And when K9 says no, because the order wasn't given by Sarah Jane, 
Chloe says, well, okay, I've got no choice but to steal you. And picks him up and hauls him out the door. And Mr. Smith actually thanks Clyde, uh, implying that K-9 was driving him mad in that sort of, well, I couldn't possibly say, but yes, yes, he is driving me mad kind of way of his. And the next day, we get a shot of the sun rising over Earth, and it's very fancy, and I imagine it's reused somewhere because I know that the show's budget was stretched. And then we see some light shining in through the attic window, and it shines directly onto the rackweed. And the rackweed blooms a red flower with a kind of weird hissing noise, and then it lets out a load of spores, which are quite a neat, nice particle effect kind of thing from far away, but then we decide to zoom into them, and they look a bit more dodgy close up as they begin to fly out the window. There's quite the sequence of them flying over to Rani's garden and everything, and then we see Luke getting ready for school. There's a song by JLS playing, and I find it very funny that this was sort of in their heyday, and now we've waited long enough for them to be reforming, so we've actually come back round full circle, and it makes sense that there'd be a JLS song playing again. <laughs> and for whatever reason, he's left his tie in the attic, so he goes in, and he inhales the spores. We get a first person's perspective of his vision going blurry, and he waddles back to his room, looking noticeably paler, in fact, maybe even a bit grey. And when Sarah Jane comes in to check on him, because he hasn't come down for breakfast, she says that it must be serious if he's feeling ill, because the bane gave him perfect health. Which makes sense, with him having so many people's combined immune systems. But this is the first mention of that. It's weird that it takes till this third series. It was like them in the previous episode when they said he had a photographic memory. It's weird that it's taken so long for it to come up. <laughs> Ronnie's come round for breakfast, uh, so she sees Luke, and she says that they should call a doctor. But Sarah Jane says, no, don't worry, just get to school, do your test, I'll deal with Luke. Then when Ronnie's leaving out the door, Sarah Jane pops back out to explain, the, the, yeah, sorry for being so dismissive. Which is nice, because we know from Sarah Jane's history that she was very dismissive. She pushed everybody away, so now she's realised, oh, that was a bit much, I need to apologise for that. But she says that I, I wouldn't know how to explain Luke to a doctor, because he's a combination of many people, and if they start doing tests, it, there's, there's going to be a lot of explaining that I have to do. And he's never fallen ill before, so I'm just a bit worried. But... He'll he'll probably be fine, it'll be okay, you get to school, don't worry about him. We see that the rackweed is now growing outside in Sarah Jane's little front garden-y kind of bit. Ronnie gets to school and spots Clyde acting all suspicious, and she calls him out on his bed lying, because he's trying to cover it up. Luke is very sweaty, and he's just looking bad, and his head and his chest hurt, and Sarah Jane says, Okay, let's be methodical, what were you doing when it started? And he says, he was in the attic. So Sarah Jane knowing that whatever has caused this mysterious illness in Luke, when he shouldn't be able to fall ill, is in the attic, goes into the attic, and Mr. Smith says, Hey, Sarah Jane, I've scanned the ragweed again. Turns out, it is pretty dangerous. You see, it's mutated overnight, so before it was harmless, but now I can analyse it and I see that what it does is it seeks out life forms that it considers are a threat, and its spores are able to somehow drain their energy and then put them into a coma from which they don't wake up. So that's good. Luke has just inhaled a load of that. Great. Love that. Ronnie at school tells Clyde about Luke being ill, and then she goes on to sing the praises of the rackweed and says about how much good this could do for Earth. 
which is a lot more I, I I don't know if ironic is the word, but it's certainly on purpose that we know a lot more than she does about it now. It's quite sad when you think about it that the Rackweed turned out to be evil, and therefore the Blatherine we can assume at this point are in fact evil, and therefore that's kind of justified the suspicions that everybody had about them. That doesn't that kind of defeats the object, doesn't it? You think you think that. I'm not sure quite how they do this, but I think it would make a really interesting episode if there was no villain and the villain was just in their heads and it was just their perception and we had to overcome that and overcome the prejudices that, they, that they'd formed. But no, instead of the show going, hey, you can't judge everybody, you, can't, you, know, you can't tar everybody with the same brush, there's, there's a variety of different species out there. Instead they've gone, nah, they, they were evil after all. It was, it was all a ruse, turns out, if it if it looks like a Sabine, if it quacks like a Sabine, it may as well be a Sabine. Well, it's just it just feels like a bit of a shame. But I guess at least at least if they're gonna do a threat, they've gone big. They've gone very big, sinister, potentially global threat. So it still feels like a finale, and it feels like there's a there's a big thing to hook you in. Clyde scoots over to the back corner. Ronnie's like, you you're being really weird. And I want to commend the show for saying that they had a biology test and they put them in a science room and it's got its plug sockets and its gas taps on the tables and the weird stools with no backs, which is exactly how it was at my school. And for an added touch that just proves they filmed this in an actual school, when Ronnie looks under the desk and she finds K9, you can see the chewing gum <laughs> that is stuck to the bottom of the desk. Sarah Jane is saying that Luke is all she's got and everything else is meaningless, which is quite hard, having just cut away from Clyde and Ronnie. <laughs> and then Mr. Smith says that he's he's scanned, and he's found out that the rackweed is is not even just confined to the house anymore. It's it's down the street, but at this point, Luke is incredibly tired, basically on the verge of falling unconscious. And Sarah Jane spots a red rash with black dots, and it's all over him, kind of on his abdomen. Um, and Mr. Smith says, well, he's inhaled a very high dose of spores. So I think, okay, because at this point, Sarah Jane has brought him into the attic as well. I'm thinking he's inhaled a very high dose of this. Maybe don't put him in the room with the rackweed so that he can inhale some more. Maybe get him as far away from that as possible. But mm, I'm not Sarah Jane. I'm not in her head. I don't know what her thought process is here, but that's what they're doing. Also, Sarah Jane is in this room. She's not been infected with it yet, but I know it's not releasing spores right now. It's already done that, but you never know when it will again. So maybe, maybe just maybe just run away and lock the door. Maybe burn the rackweed, set it on fire, run away, lock the door. We, cr we cut back to the incredibly far, far lower stakes of Clyde cheating on the test. He says that he's borrowed an earpiece, which relays K9's voice to him so that nobody else hears. Now, if that earpiece was long range, he wouldn't need to bring K9 in. Or maybe he would, because K9 would still need to read the test. Okay, ignore me. Sorry, I wrote that note yesterday, <laughs> and I'm recording this today, and I thought, hmm, if the earpiece was long range, he wouldn't need to bring K9 in, and then if the earpiece is short range, then it kind of defeats the object, and it's only good for this very, very specific situation. Because normally, you just have K9 next to you, you'd be able to hear him. But, uh... No, it turns out he's brought K9 in because he actually needs K9 to read the test. Fair enough. We see that the rackweed has set itself up in the flower bed directly underneath the window where the biology test is. 
you come back to the one in the attic, and it looks like it's ready to burst again. For, for the third time, Sarah Jane, get out of there. Sarah Jane literally says, this is all my fault. And then the plant ejects more spores, and Sarah Jane calls out for Mrs. Smith to help her, and we cut to credits. That is the end of part one. Sometimes the threat in, in the part one cliffhanger is a bit weak, but this is a real big one. So I'm okay with it. It feels adequately series finale-ish. I, I feel like a lot has also happened in this. This is just a normal length episode as part one, but I feel like a real lot has happened in this. So roll on part two. We get our 13 Benham Road, we get our privacy on, we get our titles, then into the action. Mr. Smith's screen slides up to reveal his big cooling fans that he's, he's got behind it. He cranks them up to full power and it sucks out all the spores and presumably ejects them out the chimney, I guess. I have to say that they got way closer to Sarah Jane in the end of part one than they did at the start of part two here. So it's like they've kind of retconned how much danger she was really in. Except they show the original bit in the previously thing that they, they, they show before they actually start part two. So it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. But uh, Sarah Jane grabs the ragweed plant and she chucks it into that safe that K9 used to be in. There's no black hole out there anymore, but I assume it still just gets sucked out into space. I, do, do we ever get an explanation for how that safe was actually linked to space? I don't know. But I've just put it down to alien tech. So out it goes. There's, there's no more threat to them in the attic. Lucas Rash is now spread over his hands and up his chest. He's basically only alive because of insa his insane immune system, but he is weak as anything right now. K9 is refusing to help Clyde with the test, but Clyde says, well, if it's a test, as per your definition, K9, that's a way of measuring intelligence, and I think it was pretty damn intelligent to get you to help me out. And apparently, that is irrefutable logic, that works. So K9 starts relaying the answers to him. And Mr. Smith has scanned Luke and says that he's 63% infected, so that we can sort of have a big old timer of tension, trademark. Um, and the plant mutates so quickly that even if he could make an antidote, which would take him a couple of days, the plant would have probably mutated enough to render it useless. So that's fun. I honestly have no idea how they're going to solve this, and that is what is keeping me hooked through their weird sort of anti-moral message stuff or whatever's going on right now. The the big threat is is exciting and engaging. Luke's probably got about half an hour to live. That's, that's also what Mr. Smith says. So Sarah Jane starts tearing up and says, please, there's got to be something we can do. He's only 15, which is weird because he's kind of not. As far as I'm aware, technically... He's he's about three, technically. He was he was born in inverted commas in the first episode, in the pilot episode, which was three ish, two, three years ago. So I don't know, he, he looks about fifteen, sure, but he's got the DNA of many, many people who went to the bubble shock factory in him, who I assume are of varying ages and they just kind of averaged out at about fifteen. I have to question once again if Rupert has watched the show before. It just seems weird that this kind of thing would get through. Anyway, Mr. Smith has got a news report of people nearby being rushed to hospital with the weird rash over them, and he says that it's going to cover London in a few hours and the world in a few days at this rate. We see the spores enter the classroom where the kids are doing the test, 
and they set up in the trays where there's some like I don't know cress growing or something. It's all down Bannerman Road now. It's in every crack in the pavement, etc. Sarah Jane says that she's leaving Mr. Smith to look after Luke. I don't know what Mr. Smith's going to be able to do, being a screen, essentially. But I imagine that she just says that so that Luke is knows that he's not alone and just to sort of comfort him a bit. And she says that she is going after the Batherine. But Sarah Jane, their ship is shielded. I didn't detect their approach, says Mr. Smith. But Sarah Jane says, ah, but I made a note of the teleport coordinates with my scanner watch last night. That's what she was scanning when she was checking that they'd gone to their ship or whatever. She was making a note of the coordinates, which, on the one hand, quite paranoid of her, and maybe goes against the message that I hope this episode would have. On the other hand, this turned out to be really useful right now. I don't know where she's going to find a teleporter at this point, but at least she knows where to go. Back in school, the Rackweed's high-pitched hissing kind of interferes with Clyde's earpiece, and it causes the teacher to come over, because Clyde sort of starts making some noise, and it's a test, you're meant to be silent. And the teacher actually finds K9, because uh, K9's going a bit haywire about the plant that's in the room. There's, there's, there's a danger in here. And she's a bit baffled, but then when the kids, because the kids can all hear the hissing of the plant, and they point it out to her, she goes over, jams her face directly in it, and gets a load of spores right in the face, and the rash is on her immediately, which kind of highlights how how dangerous it is to people who aren't Luke. It's quite a nice sort of reveal when she turns around, and she's just got this expression on her face and the rash all over her, and then they zoom into it as well. And she collapses, and all the kids flee out the room. Mr. Smith, using the coordinates that Sarah Jane took, has tracked the Bathering ship, weirdly, to Antarctica. I don't know why they're there in Antarctica and not in space, but because we've got some finale budget, we get to see the CG ship out in all the CG snow. It's a completely CG environment for Antarctica. And then they've actually built a set as well for the inside, where the Selene, oh, sorry, rather the Bathering, I apologies if I've said the wrong family at any point. You have to work it out yourself. Um, but the Bathering sit there devouring what I assume is cooked rackweed. It looks like spinach. Um, there's also, for decoration, I guess, a rackweed in a pot, uh, both spray-painted gold, just sitting on the table. I know. They're talking about how it's not even really their fault because Sarah Jane took the rackweed because she wanted the glory of being in the papers and saving the nation, which is something that she specifically said is not what she wanted. And so kind of reminds me of incel logic, you know, like, it's just, this is really weird. It's like, oh, well, it's your fault, actually. It's like, no, 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 it's definitely not. You're the one committing all the horrible crimes. And they say that they, in fact, they actually is, expected more resistance from the infamous Sarah Jane, which proves that them saying that she was infamous and famous back home was actually true. And they say that once the whole world is covered in rackweed, they're going to get rich from the harvest. So it it that's all, that was also a true thing that they said. It does grow really fast, and it does have uses, presumably as food, because we see them munching it all down. So really, they only had to stretch the truth a bit, and or just rather lie by big deadly omission that it will also release spores that will seek you out and kill you, <laughs> which is you know it's quite the omission. But they they really didn't tell that much of a lie. It's just, it just so happens that they've got this really powerful plant back home. And presumably it doesn't consider them a threat, or they found a way to neutralise the spores or something, I don't know. Mr. Smith has been severely depleted by running those fans on full blast, apparently, to clear the room. So 
he says he can get Sarah Jane to the ship by hacking their teleporter and beaming her in. So that's where she's going to get a teleporter. They're just going to hack the, the, the ring one. But he can only do it once, and he, he can't get her back out again. She says that's a risk she's willing to take as she grabs a big old super soaker. The Blatherine are laughing at their map of London that shows all the rackweed growing all over it. When she beams in, and she says this super soaker is filled with vinegar, usually she's very anti-gun. So this is again a kind of weird, out-of-character moment for her. But I guess when you threaten her son, that's when she reaches her limit, and she goes, okay, I'm going to have to kill somebody now. Back in school, Ronnie and Clyde find an unconscious student who couldn't escape. And Ronnie, very casually... Puts her in the recovery position while talking to Clyde. It's not even a big deal. She doesn't even mention what she's doing. She just knows to do that. That is a brilliant moment. It's another one of those little... You, you, you could even miss it. Because the focus is what they, is them talking. And she's just kind of doing that in, in the background. And I love Ronnie. I love, I love the moments that they put into the show. And that makes me love Ronnie a lot. She's brilliant. She's my, my favourite character in this episode. It's not often that you can come in and replace someone like Maria as well and just be so good. And I know she's now had two series to get into it, but she has got into it. She is great. Love Ronnie. She phones up Luke, seeing now that the Rackweed is a serious threat. That was probably what got him this morning. And he's able to tell her that Sarah Jane has gone to find the Blatherine before he passes out on that phone call. Clyde mentions now that it was actually a good move of his to sneak K-9 in, because K-9 can now help them out. Back on the ship, the Blatherine try to keep up their, their sort of pretense of innocence. But then when Sarah Jane says, no, you're not innocent, you gave the, the Rackweed to us, it's caused havoc, you, you wanted to cause havoc. They're like, okay, fine, you got us. We can just get our computer here to destroy the Rackweed. Computer, destroy the Rackweed. And then the computer destroys the Rackweed. But it's just so anticlimactic. But that can't be it. They are obviously lying. We've no reason to trust them now. But Sarah Jane asks the computer. And the computer repeats that the Rackweed is destroyed. And I guess with no other way of obtaining proof. She lowers the Super Soaker. Which they immediately smack out of her hand. And then they grab her and they shove her into a chair. And the chair has these weird cuffs on the arms that keep her trapped in place. And then they return the computer to normal view. And they say nice try but not good enough. And she remarks that that is exactly what the Sabine said, apparently. I don't remember them saying that, but apparently. Luke is now apparently 87% inf infected. Uh, the rash is all over his face. He is drifting in and out of consciousness. Ronnie and Clyde run through the school. They're seeing and hearing rackweed everywhere. There's a weird digital sort of camera move on one of the shots. It's not, it's not like a physical camera move. They haven't panned around. It's something they've done in post. So it's really smooth and there's no motion blur at all. Presumably they just got this shot and they needed to spice it up somehow. But it's just so obviously done in post. It looks really weird. But that's over in like a second. And then uh, one of the Rackweed emits some spores. But K9 luckily is able to vaporise them. So you can deal with that threat there. They get to the door. They open the door. And they see a load more spores outside. And K9 does not have the energy to deal with that. He doesn't have the energy to deal with that, but like he physically, he, he cannot zap all them. So they say, okay, let's flee to, I know, the canteen. They, they say the canteen. Back on the ship, we cut between the school and the ship a lot. Uh, the Blatherines sit there being evil. Uh, they talk about spreading rackweed across the galaxy, and they keep on munching bowls full of it down. 
while Sarah Jane is trapped and her son is dying. So they're just doing that directly in front of her. Sarah Jane actually suggests that they're addicted to it. And they're like, no, we just like it a lot. So I reckon they're probably addicted to it. Um, and very interesting point here. They describe Earth as a small plot of land. They say the Earth is small, so sure, we might get a bit of money from covering Earth in rackweed and then selling all that off. But our ultimate plan is to spread it across the galaxy, because that'll that'll get us a lot richer. And that contrasts with my theory that Raxacorocophalopatorius is quite small then, doesn't it? If Earth is small, then Raxacorocophalopatorius must be bigger. And if Raxacorocophalopatorius is bigger, that means it's probably got more aliens on it, potentially. Just a, just a thought. And therefore, you'd expect that they'd have more different types of delicacies. And so, I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. But just the way they sort of act with the human food is just a bit... I don't know. Maybe the planet is actually huge, but it's only got like three or four families. They just have huge amounts of members in them. But if so, then you think, sure, surely not all of us are the inner evil. I'm probably thinking too much about it, actually. Maybe I'm putting too much thought into it than the writers did, because the writers didn't need to put this amount of thought into it, because at the end of the day, it's not actually that important. Maybe. It seems that Claude and Ronnie don't actually get to the canteen, because they go into the computer lab, to check the news and see how far the rackweed has spread. And the BBC newsman says that there are now about 300 cases in the hospitals. He reels off some London boroughs and, uh, that it's spread to, and he includes Perryvale. And Perryvale is where Ace, the seventh Doctor's companion, lived. So that is a neat little call-out to that, a neat neat little link. I like that. I like that. Just, just put that in there, because you don't see it coming at all, and it just feels... No, it's just part of the universe, isn't it? In the Doctor Who universe, Perryvale exists, that's where Aces. So we'll just nod to that. It's neat. Back on the ship. So Jane is pleading and saying, you can kill me, but please save the children. And then they get on to talking about children, and they get on to talking about relatives, and the Blatherine reveal that actually they are Savine Blatherine. They're not just Blatherine. There's been a union of the families many generations back. And I have thoughts about this. So, from the top, right, the Sathene are evil. Then, the Blatherine come along, and everyone is wary, but you shouldn't be wary, because just because some folk are evil, that doesn't mean that everyone is. But then, they do turn out to be evil. So, that kind of makes any racism you had towards them justified? You know, it's a bit weird, feels a bit weird. So then, therefore, they say, no, 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 no. They were part of the original evil ones all along. So it's not okay to be racist, but this is just a weird specific case where it kind of was. Now, I feel like the message has got a bit too diluted here and just a bit too lost for my liking. It just feels like they've gone, oh, no, no, hang on, wait. Oh, no, um, our message is wrong. Uh, they were part of, they were Celine all along. Oh, it's just, uh, it feels like they struggled. <laughs> Back in school, Clyde and Rani are finding that all the exits of the school are blocked by Rackweed. They end up in a room with a plant that's emitting some spores, but the bell goes off and it destroys the spores and it shrivels the plant up. And Clyde makes the obvious joke that they were saved by the bell. And now I see how they're going to win this. As the Blatherine go on about how Tree was actually the one that genetically modified that strain of Rackweed himself, so maybe they weren't actually that deadly, and that was just he brought the specific deadly strain. Oh, maybe. Maybe. 
he invented the deadly strain, and maybe that's all on him. It just makes him even more evil. Sarah Jane is able to just kind of contort herself so that she can get her sonic lipstick out of her pocket. And they mention that the rackweed noise is all the plants communicating with each other. And they're going on and they're being evil. They're looking at the screen. They're not looking at her. They think, hmm, she's, she's been a bit quiet. They turn around and see an empty chair. And then she zapped the teleporter and got back home. And she's even broken it so they can't follow her. She comes back to find that Luke is now in the coma. He is he is not responsive. Ronnie and Clyde get K9 to amplify the school bell and set it off again, which destroys all the rackweed inside, but they're still trapped by it outside. So Clyde asks K9 to connect his phone to Mr. Smith, and there's sort of a reluctant yes, because even when the world is in danger, those two refuse to get along. We see briefly on Mr. Smith's screen that Luke is 93% dead, and then Clyde connects through, and Sarah Jane answers, and they tell her what they learned about the bell, and she says that checks out with what I learned about how the Requiem communicate, and that's what all their noises. So maybe it disrupts the frequency, and it just drives them to kill themselves or whatever. I am willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept that the Requiem can be destroyed like this. I do think it's very lucky that they happen to be in a school with a functioning school bell, because I remember they just kind of stopped using our ones at school after a certain point. So. Maybe they broke and they didn't fix them or what? I don't know. I just think it's very lucky. <laughs> K9 relays the frequency through. Sarah Jane wonders why he's at school and Clyde says, I'll explain later. And then Mrs. Smith is able to blast it across the city from everybody's phones and all their alarms and everything. It is just as loud and annoying as you'd expect. Also, thank God he has enough energy to do that as well. He didn't have enough energy for, for two teleports, but he still has enough energy to connect to all the electronic devices across London, blast out the sound of the spell, and they all shrivel up and the day is saved. And the thing is, it's even cured Luke, and the teacher, and all the folk in the hospitals. Okay, you've got to accept that it's a and move on. You've got to accept that if it can destroy the rackweed while it's living, it can also destroy the infection in the body, I guess, just this very loud noise. Also, if that plant can communicate and sort of team up with all the other plants and decide to attack people. Maybe it can think and feel? Has anybody checked if that plant was actually sentient before we killed all of it? I mean, it was it was a threat and it needed to be got rid of, but I just I wonder how much of a brain it actually has. Clyde and Rani are very happy to have saved the day. Luke and Sarah Jane are very happy to be alive and well. The Blatherine are very angry and are working on repairing their teleporter. And Sarah Jane asks Mr. Smith, if he will be able to replicate the noise, but just confined to the attic, just in case. And I think, ooh, maybe I can see what's coming. So, just as Sarah Jane is going on to Clyde about how he doesn't need to bring in K9 to cheat on tests, and he should have faith in his own abilities, the Blatherine teleport in. I like the way they do this teleportation by shining a really bright light from off camera, and then when we cut to it, they're already there. So it's like as if the as, as if the cameraman someone they've teleported in over there, and then the cameraman was just too slow to react to it and actually catch it. It's quite neat. They do have an actual VFX thing that they've used previously, but I'm quite fond of this cheap way. I think they did it with the Jadoon as well. I just I just enjoy that. So they come in all threatening, and Sarah Jane says, "This is your last chance to stop. This is your chance to reject your the inside and return to Leatherine." And they say no, and Leaf says, "I've been wanting to say this for so long." Let the hunt begin. And then Sarah Jane gets Mr. Smith to play the noise. And 
nothing happens. And the Blatherine laugh it off. Because they say that we, we, we're, we're Blatherine. We aren't Rackweed. But, of course, they've been gorging themselves on it. So there is a lot of farting, and their stomachs kind of bulge. And then they explode. And the set and the cast are drenched in orange goo. And I mean drenched. Like, they must have fired that out of a cannon. And they must have shot that scene last. Because it looks like a nightmare to clean up. Genuinely, absolutely massive goo explosion. And so they just kind of stand there shocked for about 10 seconds. And they kind of scoop the goo out of their eyes. And Ronnie even spits some out. <laughs> it's horrible. And K9 declares that, well, disintegration was successful. And Mr. Smith's replies were very sarcastic. You don't say. And then Clyde complains about it always happening to him, because of course it's tradition. It goes way back to the original Celine and the vinegar. And there's a very weird conversation where Clyde realises that they farted themselves to death because all the undigested rackweed being destroyed formed a load of gas that couldn't be contained. And so it's quite funny, like, haha, they're always farting all the time and they ended up dying like that. And there's also Sarah Jane coming to the realisation that, like, I had to do this because lives were at risk. But also, we just did a murder, and there should have been a better way, and we are also currently kind of covered in guts. So Clyde is made to clean it up as punishment for cheating on the test, and he says, well, who would even want to know about the life cycle of a plant anyway? That's useless information. And then Ronnie just gives him a look, like, did, did you not see the whole adventure that we went on where the plant was a big threat? Did, did you not think that maybe it's actually quite useful to know about that? But she just conveys all of that through her eyes. And it's it's very purposeful. And it's quite funny. And then once once he's done that, they sit down for a kind of barbecue in the garden. And Sarah Jane does a voiceover and explains that she really hoped that she'd found an alien friend, but was wrong this time. But that doesn't mean that she'll be wrong every time. And it's still worth trying to form friendships. And there's very meaningful pans over to everyone around the table. And she says that, Maybe with luck, the Earth can actually set an example to the entire universe and we can all get along. There's a big old message of friendship and we kind of zoom out and we see a shot of the old blue marble that's flowing through space and the credits roll. And I feel a little bit conflicted because maybe at the end of the day, there wasn't any message to the story. Maybe they just wanted to tell the finale story and in that case... They put in the little voiceover at the end that's kind of enough to cover that they don't actually mean anything by it. But also, if that's true, that means that everyone acted really weird and out of character. So it makes it a bit of a weird story that they just told. It was still fun to watch. I was worried that I wouldn't enjoy part two after watching part one. I split it watching it over two days and I was a bit sort of reluctant to go into part two. But I did have fun. It was just a bit weird because if they were trying to do a message, then they kind of failed miserably at it. So it's odd. It's not enough to put me off the show, though, by any means. I still love it to bits. I think that we've got some very good stories coming up in Series 4. Potentially some of the best. There are definitely one or two that I'm I'm looking out for. Uh, I sort of remember... That, I don't know if they stuck in their mind because of quality or because, or because what, but I know they're coming up and I'm excited to talk to you about them. We didn't get a next time for the next series because I don't think they even knew what they were making at, at this point. They, they didn't know what was coming up next. So I won't spoil it for you, but uh, I just hope that I can see you there.